Folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is April the 4th, 2013. This is episode 1104 of the Survival Podcast, and I have a cool one for you today. I'm going to be joined in just a few moments by Pasha Roberts, who is the director and producer of Silver Circle. That's an animated film that explores the impact of excessive government and hyperinflation in a fictional near-term future around the time of... 2019. Um, we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, HarvestEating.com, the illustrious chef Keith Snow, who will teach you to make cooking a life skill and teach you how to cook seasonally and locally by focusing on uh, cooking as a skill set and cooking techniques rather than just focusing on individual recipes. He's also a source of a wonderful podcast you can check out and subscribe to at his website again harvesteating.com and he has some really cool seasonings and other products in his store you'll want to check out as well on the seasoning my two favorites are the montreal steak and the low and slow barbecue those are both definitely jack approved uh for cooking really like the uh the chicken seasoning as well but it, that low and slow barbecue guys if you're looking to really do up a brisket or a pork shoulder right on a side box smoker you got to give this stuff a try next up today the free state project i've been on voting your with your feet a lot lately and i will freely admit to stealing that from them it's on their banner on my website i believe when a country uh is founded as a republic and freedom of movement is made uh, paramount to the individual citizens that that action of voting with your feet is the strongest vote that you can send and when a state continues to behave stupidly new jersey then people might just choose to go somewhere else. When a state continually oppresses its people, California, people might choose to go somewhere else. When, pe when people's constitutional rights are no longer respected or their right to even choose what they're going to eat for lunch is no longer respected, New York, then people might choose to go somewhere else. I'd love to see you guys come to Texas, but let me tell you what, if you... Uh, If you want a great place to go with an incredible community to be part of, check out the Free State Project. Those guys are trying to turn New Hampshire into the freest state in the union. They're doing a damn good job. I support them 100%. In fact, I'll tell you this, if you've not heard this before, they are not really a sponsor. I am their sponsor. I give them this position on our website and podcast for free where everybody else has to pay for it. This is my philanthropy to help their work because I believe it's one of the most important projects going on in the world today. Learn more at freestate.org. Next up today, I want to remind you guys about my initiative for this. So you say New Hampshire sounds great, but it's cold there. I don't want to go there. It's too far away from my family, but I, maybe I want to go somewhere and get the hell out of New York or California or one of those other states like that. Hey, get on over to walkingtofreedom.com. Read the mission statement. Take part in the voting. It's going to wrap up quicker than you might imagine. And let's help people make the right choice for them when it comes to relocation and seeking greater liberty and freedom in their lives. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll 
You'll help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. That'll be your contribution into the fight of liberty, freedom, personal self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and independence that we're working on here every day. And this is the way I designed it. I wanted it to be something where your return of investment was insured. If you're buying stuff for homesteading, if you're buying stuff for self-sufficiency, long-term food storage, things like that every year, a little here and a little there, and constantly working on that independence, the discounts that I have in there for you are going to more than pay for your membership many times over, over and over again, and make your membership pay for itself. I just added three new benefits yesterday. I'm going to tell you about them real quick. Jeff Gleason, the Berkey guy, has been giving away a free Berkey Sport water bottle. It's valued at $25 on all Berkey orders over $100. So you're getting new filters. You get a new bottle is basically the way it works. You buy a new uh, water filter system, and maybe somebody's running a promotion giving away bottles. You, you give it, put the code in. You get two of them. It's just been a great deal, and that means that every time you've been getting new Berkey product, you've also been getting a sport bottle and having that mobile water filtration. He's still doing that. Nothing's changed there, but what he's added is he's now got Mountain House products on his site. About 10% off for MSB on Mountain House products at the Berkey Guys website, directive21.com permanently. There you go. How's that for a benefit? Uh, that adds up. Darby Simpson, a member of our expert council who is a uh, farmer by trade, a professional farmer, uh, has launched a new business doing consulting. He'll consult with you whether you want to be a farmer like him or you just want to expand your homestead. Or maybe you want a micro business where you want to just get at some level of cash flow off of your homestead. And you want to do that from an agricultural basis. He has free consulting. Uh, if you pay in advance, you get a 10% discount. MSB members, you get a 10% discount either way. That means you either get 10% off or you can get 20% off Darby Simpson Consulting. Rogue Holsters now gets 10% off all holsters to all MSB members. And the even better news, you're saying I'm not Join in the MSB Jack. Fine, I'll tell you what. I got a discount for you. Uh, if you, you can take a look at the website and see the MSB updates for four thirteen four three thirteen, I put up yesterday. Uh, Rogue Holsters is doing ten percent off for everybody, not just MSB. Discount code on the outside is TSP. If you go to RogueHolster.com and it's Rogue-Holster.com or click on the link in the uh, the update I did yesterday and use discount code TSP, you get ten percent off all holsters until May fifteenth. How's that different for the MSB? You guys get the same discount. You have a different code. doesn't matter which one you use until May 15th. But on May 15th, nobody gets the discount anymore. It just goes to just MSB members. It's permanent for you guys. That's what I added yesterday to the MSB. I don't really, you know, extol the MSB deeply on a, on a daily basis. I don't want people to get tired of hearing about it. But those are the types of benefits that we're constantly adding to the MSB. And uh, that's why we're going to just keep working at it harder and harder to make it better and better all the time uh, for you guys to make sure that you're getting your money's worth out of it. So consider joining today in military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty or prior service and first responders like paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, that type of stuff. If you email me before, not after you join, if you put service discount on the subject line and if you tell me who you are and what you're doing or you tell me who you are and what you did if you're prior service and served in the past and do that in about two or three sentences or less, just so I know uh, where you're coming from, I will send you a discount code that will save you even more money. It's such a great discount on the already great deal. I don't even tell anybody what it is until they qualify for it. With that, um, I do have uh, the housekeeping wrapped up, and I'd like to introduce at this time our guest, Mr. Pasha Roberts. Pasha holds a bachelor's degree in economics and Russian studies from the College of William and Mary. 
He also has a Master of Science in Financial Engineering from the MIT Sloan School of Management. In other words, for those that are impressed with credentials out there that always want to know what people's credentials are, he's got really good ones. But he's also really an awesome guy. He's put together an awesome movie, and we're going to have a great conversation about that. You can learn where you can see it, how you can support the work that they're doing and get involved. And maybe you guys can even come in about two weeks, I think it is, and meet me in Round Rock. I'm going to check into that. You'll hear us talk about it during the interview. With that, hey, Pasha Man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. We're uh, you know big fans and uh, you know eager to. Uh, I think we're talking on the same wavelength and eager to you know talk about uh, economic survival. Hey, uh, when I was up at the Free State Project's uh, Liberty Forum, that's where I met you, and you guys were there debuting Silver Circle. I didn't get to see the debut because I had about a billion things going on, but it was a big hit up there. Um, it's a, both a film and a novel. So can you start out with uh, just telling folks, what's what's it all about? Sure, totally. I mean, basically, Silver Circle is a story about a economic collapse in 2019. And it's a fictional story, hopefully. And it's about a group of rebels that are fighting back against the Federal Reserve and trying to take their rights back, trying to fight back against the tyranny. But a big part of how they do the fight is they make their own competing currency that's made out of silver. So it's a kind of a story about alternate currency and how kind of this guerrilla-based silver currency fares versus the tyranny of the Federal Reserve. And, you know, obviously they don't like that, like that but um, <laughs> our, our thought here is that there's plenty of documentaries, plenty of good books, you know, the Creature from Jekyll Island and all that. And people, the uninitiated, you know, um, can easily get to those books pretty easily. But... Our goal is really to kind of reach wide and get to a lot of different new people, uh, you know, through the medium of storytelling. Uh, you know, so that's our, our that's our evil plan, really, with the story. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think we do a pretty good job of putting a, a you know a face on how what inflation does to people, how it you know destroys people's lives. Yeah, I think that's very cool because there's a lot of people that let's just put it this way: they're they're, they're freaking asleep. They have no idea. But if you can give them something entertaining, they just might learn something from it by accident. Yeah, hopefully. I, you know, the thing that a lot of people bring up, because our prices are 20 times what they are now in uh, 2019, which we don't even get into hyperinflation or, you know, the extreme cases, uh, as you know. But the thing that gets a lot of the people is I think there's a bar where the hero and his dad are hanging out a lot of the time and, there's a big sign on the wall that says $90 beer Tuesdays. So that's the cheap night, you know, where the beer is $90. So, you know, that kind of hopefully starts to wake people up a little bit. And You know, people nothing. will say that's ridiculous, right? But, look, I wasn't old enough to drink yet, but I remember my grandfather throwing 50 cents on the bar for a draft beer. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you go to a decent bar now, what are you going to pay? Three, four bucks or more for a beer. There's actually a complete correlation between your numbers there. Yeah, I mean, in this case, we're just talking about, you know, four or five years. So Yeah, that's, that's pretty where, rapid. That's where it kills people because people's wages don't keep up with the inflation. Uh, and it's sort of asynchronous. Uh, the money goes to the bankers first and then eventually trickles down the jobs. But it's uh, we looked a lot at what happened in Argentina. We looked at Zimbabwe. We looked a lot at the... It happens in modern societies when basically a currency dies. 
And, you know, I think it's pretty, um, you know, I, you know, I think we try to respect that. Uh, we, Furful's book, for example, is really good. Uh, uh, that's a fun book. It's like, was it How to Survive the Coming Economic Collapse. Crisis? Collapse? Yeah. 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 Let me talk to him. Yeah. Hey, uh, Fernando's a great guy. We've had him on the show a couple of times, and uh, he's actually now moved to Ireland. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. And one of my... My buddy from the United Kingdom heard that. He goes, this guy's a survival expert. <laughs> Does he know about the, they call it the troubles over there? And I, I said he actually decided that since they had been through that, that it was a community that was a little bit hardened to it. And the real reason was he couldn't, he wanted to get somewhere out of Argentina and he couldn't come here because if you want a job, you can come here. But if you already own a business and are self-sufficient and, and don't need anything, apparently we we don't want you in America. Apparently so. not. That steals jobs from <laughs> other people? No, that doesn't make sense. doesn't so. really do that. Does it? <laughs> you know, it's like you want a job, and that's just part of the problem here. So kind of going on a mission-oriented thing, like I'm sure that there's a lot of entertainment value, and I'm sure you guys are creative and you like to do that, but I'm also pretty sure that – when you put this together, you weren't like, let's just go make something entertaining and then came up with this angle that there was probably a mission from the beginning. So what do you hope that the film accomplishes? Uh, well, several things. You know, I think in a story like this, the story is predominant. We want the characters to be believable and people to laugh and cry and go with them. And people are doing that. That's good. And, you know, people are, uh, you know, because if it's just a cardboard story with nothing to it, you know, but a bunch of rhetoric, then, you know, people leave the theater. And uh, that, so that's primary. It's a really fun story. But we hope people will actually look at, you know, think about the nature of money. Uh, you know, it causes some people to look up the Federal Reserve and start to get a sense of what is this place, you know, this secret society that's run the world's currencies for 100 years. That's kind of like a James Bond bad guy, you know. <laughs> so, so that's our... Um, you know, we hope it starts to get people to think about it, and and you know, and we certainly talk about silver, and, and there's several other sort of survival things wrapped in there uh, that I think you know people can pay attention to. Uh, speaking of uh, Furfall, we we actually took one of his one of the moves from one of his car driving tips and embedded it in the movie. So there's a lot of stuff like that for people that have following this. There's just tons of Easter eggs and that kind of thing. That that's really cool. Um, I mean, you guys have started to to get somewhere with some traction too. I mean, uh, I've had Rob from AOCS on a couple times, and, and he got to uh, go tell the Congress they were thieves to their face. That was pretty cool. That was cool. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, Congressman Al Green got up and left when he said that. That was pretty telling. But you guys actually had Ron Paul um, in a congressional meeting with Ben Bernanke hold up one of your silver pieces. Yeah, that was a total surprise. I but uh, we've you know been in contact with him over the years, and you know he's a good guy and he's very accessible for a politician. And uh, so we've given him uh, one or two silver pieces and some to his staff. And uh, basically, uh, he had a you know, congressional financial services subcommittee hearing with Ben Bernanke, and you know basically held up one of our silver pieces, unbeknownst to us. Uh, and asked him, you know, is this this is a piece, this an ounce of silver, is this money? And went through his his schooling of Bernanke with that, you know. Uh, and we didn't find out till the day after. I just watched the video and was like, nice going, Paul, Ron Paul. And eventually somebody zoomed in and 
determined it was ours. That's ours. It <laughs> so, socked our pants off. So we had to buy the picture back from Reuters. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Uh, have the rights to your own your own uh, image. Well, I didn't take the picture, so that makes sense. That's true, yeah. But I mean, wow, that's uh, that that is pretty cool. Um, when when I look at the state of the Congress, and you just said something there, schooled Bernanke, uh, that kind of became a regular thing. I think the thing that I'm going to miss the most about Ron Paul leaving Congress is his once or twice a year. Uh, complete schooling and just 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 working over Ben. I think that was probably about the only thing that I actually enjoyed watching going on in the halls of Congress. Yeah, I don't pay a lot of attention to um, you know current politicians. Um, you know, I, I watch the bills and that kind of thing, but I'm not one of those people that makes fun of Obama or Bush or anything like that. I think it's just the system, and uh, you know, it, it's. Um, you know, we don't even in the movie we don't even say who um, the president is because it doesn't matter. The Federal Reserve is running things, uh, and you know, it's, it's this militarized Federal Reserve. So, I mean, that's really kind of where I'm coming from on that. But it, it's, uh, you know, but the people like Ron Paul, are just uh, a lesser degree, Ron Paul are are going to start to be interesting as they um, make their way into into the political class, if you want to call it that. I think Ron will probably do more for liberty as a retired congressman than he was able to get done as a congressman. Because, I mean, I call the, the Congress clowns, ass clowns, and I, I can call the Capitol building the clown house. Right. Uh, like you said, you could swap the clowns out. You still have a clown house. What actually makes a guy like Ron look so awesome is, isn't that he's that great. And I know some people are going to be mad at me for that. It's just that he's good. And nobody else is. It's like if you have a bunch of uh, completely uncoordinated kids playing soccer, and you take one well-trained soccer player and stick him in the middle, you're like, that guy's phenomenal, and it's just that everybody else sucks. Right. I mean, I think it's just he's playing a different game. There's yeah. A two. yeah, the other the rest of the team doesn't even know the game is soccer. Yeah, right? they're playing baseball or something. I, I, so. Like the five-year-olds, when you watch a soccer game with five-year-olds, and about halfway through the game, they're picking up rocks and drawing in the dirt, and that's that's our <laughs> Congress. They have a job they're supposed to be doing, and and they don't do it. And you're right. I mean, the Fed to me is 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 the root of of evil. I wouldn't say of all evil, but the root of evil in this nation is largely vested in the Federal Reserve because it gives them a monopoly on monetary con- creation. And if you want to control a, a society, control their money. And uh, But alternative currencies are starting to show up. I mean, there's a misconception that the Legal Tender Act actually prevents you from having an alternative currency, and that's not true at all. The Legal Tender Act just says if I advertise goods or services in dollars and you show up with dollars, I have to take them. But it, it doesn't prevent me from saying I take silver or bitcoins or whatever, right? Right. I mean, credit cards are not legal tender. Uh, they're not. I mean, they, um, they're denominated in dollars, but um, they're, I mean, basically legal tender only applies when a debt exists. So if you haven't taken the thing from my store, for example, then there's no debt and, uh, you know, and legal tender does not apply. Uh, it, it does apply, you know, if you're you eat at a restaurant and you start to leave. And now you know. Now you owe the guy somebody something. So it's uh, 
you know, I, I think the alternative currency is really the, the strongest weapon in our movie you know, that the rebels have against the Federal Reserve, despite all of the explosions and car chases and all the excitement in there. I mean, the silver is the most dangerous thing. Uh, and, and we actually have, the, I think, the Coin Act of 2016 that makes it illegal for people to trade in silver and gold. Uh, and, and, and that's part of what we saw in Zimbabwe, which is a extreme case, but they as the government got more and more desperate, uh, the central banks and the government clamped down more and more on just daily exchange between people. They made exchanging in the dollar and in, in the South African rand illegal, and you know, especially gold, especially diamonds, uh, you know, those were the things that were actually held value, and they would clamp down on people severely for doing that. And, they didn't, then everybody would flock to the other currency and use that instead of their worthless money. So that's called reverse Gresham's law. Sure it is. Sure. I mean, and that's, and when you look at the history of failing currencies, it's very common that as the currency of a nation begins to lose its value, the only way they can retain any value in the currency is to make using anything else illegal, which is right. on its face completely ridiculous because you're interfering with the ability for people to conduct commerce. I mean, that's you're, you, as soon as you go down the road of capital controls, um, you pretty much are admitting your economy is over. And sadly, we're already taking steps on that path. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the things that happen are pretty. You know, it's been it's a well traveled road. Uh, you know, this kind of thing has happens. I don't know every ten or twenty years with different economies and. In our case, it's different because we have the world reserve currency. And so in our economic scenario, we've lost that. You know, there's some failed Federal Reserve exit. And, uh, it, you know, and there's been a default of some sort and nobody takes our money as the reserve currency anymore. Uh, they've gone to something else. So, you know, and that's the scenario where we would really start to truly free fall because we don't have this worldwide monopoly on the currency. Um, but I think that the thing, you know, it's a subtle issue, money is. I mean, it, it, it's hard even to get across in a 90-minute movie, but if you have an institution that creates it the way the Federal Reserve does, that leads to all of these other excesses. It leads to misinvestment in industries that really shouldn't necessarily exist, that, you know, props up huge government uh, and spending on things, and it fosters this culture of, uh, of dependency on these services instead of self-reliance. Uh, and, you know, uh, if people would only, you know, it, I'm not saying if you just got rid of that and put the gold standard in, everything would change again. But, you know, I, I think that's kind of at the root of it, where money became so cheap, people created these false institutions, and they're not sustainable. I mean, they're, they're just going to have, mathematically, they have to crash. Yeah, I mean, and I think that we have this this real danger, right? And this is kind of the way I explain it. So let's say that you were a little kid. You hadn't grown up yet, Pasha, and I was watching you, um, and you were climbing up a tree and jumping out of it. And the first time you jumped, you were like a foot high, and you jumped. And then you were two feet, and then you were three, and then you were four, and then you were five. And I would probably just sit there and go, he's going to figure it out. He's going to get high enough, right? That when he jumps out of that tree, it's going to hurt a little bit, and he's going to stop going higher. But if you went right from four feet and you climbed 50 feet up that tree, I'd be running out there screaming, don't do it, Pasha, you're going to kill yourself. 
Because the higher you can climb, the harder the fall is going to be. We all intrinsically know that. You mentioned the status of the dollar as the reserve currency. Due to that, we can get away with flat-out bullshit that there ain't no other country in the world can get away with right now in monetizing our own debt, quantitative easing, QE infinity, all this crap. No other country in the world will be able to do this at the level that we do. But, but Johnny's climbing way to hell up that tree. And eventually, math has to catch even us, and I think it'll be much worse for us than, it, than when we look at other nations who have done it, because no one's ever been able to go this far and get away with it this long before. Yeah, and there's no place to go. I mean, I mean, with South Africa, I mean, with um, um, with Zimbabwe, they went basically the South African rand and to some degree the U.S. dollar, and that's you know they started using that currency and things started to stabilize. They call it dollarization. Uh, same thing in Argentina, they went to the U.S. dollar, and that was a relative to them a stable currency and. Yeah, and that's partially why the dollar is doing pretty well right now because it's it's better that it's the least bad currency right now. It's not as bad as the currency, not as bad as the euro. Uh, and you know, if it happens here, you know, if the dollar once the dollar starts to slip, you know, there's yeah, we cover it in the movie. I mean, you know, there's there's precious metals. Uh, you know, we have people with uh, South African, I mean, not South African. I keep on in South African mode today. <laughs> But, uh, you know, they have Chinese uh, renminbi in their pocket, that kind of a thing. Um, but, you know, the thing that really is the solid money in there is the silver. Uh, and so a lot of people ask, why do we do silver and not gold? The reason for that is is it's the perfect gorilla currency. It's relatively easy to find in terms of melting down candlesticks or whatever. Uh, and it's small. It's denominatable. Uh, you can buy a cup of coffee with it with a small piece. Sure. You can't get gold small enough to buy a cup of coffee in a, uh, in a way that you can validate. Uh, and there's thousands of years of people's history with silver. People recognize it. If you work with silver, I mean, I can tell a piece of silver from a fake, uh, you know, by looking at it and holding it and dropping it. And there's, you know, the various tests that we have. And, you know, I, I'll know if something's real. I'll know if something has part silver in it. Sure. So, so there's, it's easy for merchants just to kind of create a... a a system out of it from there. And, it, and it's a reasonable store of wealth for people to stick in their walls or their vaults or wherever they put it to. It's, um, Bitcoin's interesting. Uh, it, I just don't know where it's going to be. In, I don't either. And in, in, not in terms of value, but in terms of being able to cash it in. Mm-hmm. You know, if electricity is a problem, if connectivity is a problem, then, you know, um, there could be a distributed model for it or something, but I just don't, you know, this thing that's on my smartphone that runs on batteries, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cash this thing in, you know. But with a piece of silver, I know I'm always good. Well, what gives Bitcoin's value? And I, I, I've seen people be too hard on it, like Chris Dwayne, who's, you know, very big on the silver side of things like we are, um, likened it to the uh, the boom in tulip bulbs over in uh, in Holland during that whole fiasco that happened a couple yeah. hundred years ago. And, and it's not, because I, if I want more tulip bulbs, I can just keep making more and more and more. There's actually an infinite supply. You inflate something like that, eventually supply and demand will catch you and, and you'll blow it up, which is exactly what happened. Whereas a Bitcoin has a finite limit on production, so they got that part right. So basically they had this huge inflationary cycle and then a deflationary cycle with it as it was planned. 
But what gives it its value is its convertibility, just like you said. So the whole point of Bitcoin is if I want to buy something from you, I can send you Bitcoins, and it's nobody's business but ours, and there's not a damn thing anybody can do about it right now. Yeah, that's awesome. And I am actually really interested in what things are going to be like in an inflationary scenario with silver and with electronics. You know, So you could have an electronic anonymous denominate, you know, silver denominated currency. Uh, there's nothing that says, I mean, Bitcoin is denominated in Bitcoin. Yep. Uh, but, you know, it's equally possible to have a silver-backed uh, currency like that. Uh, you know, it, it, likewise, you know, because the, the transmission is, is what's really cool about Bitcoin, you know, the anonymous and, um, you know, and the scalability of that. But, um, you know, the backing of it is almost separate. In, in my mind, I may need to be educated on that. But sure, yeah. I mean, I don't know enough about it either. I mean, I kind of see it now as a way to send and receive money and then immediately convert it into something you actually want to hold. Yeah. Uh, I know other people are actually buying Bitcoins and holding them because they have been increasing in, in, in value, um, just as was predicted by the curve. But we'll see how that works out in the end. I'm not going to you know, hold a bunch of my money in Bitcoins. I'd rather hold silver and I'd rather hold it in my hand. Because when you say, well, you can't transmit it if the power's down, I can't, but I can hand it to my neighbor for a stake. And I think the other thing with silver, silver's always been the currency of the middle class in, in a, a classic um, economy that runs on a metallic standard. If you look at the history of the United States, at a time where they actually, average person would tell you we had a bimetallic standard, we actually had a trimetallic standard. Um, if you look at a large cent from the early 1850s and back, and you look at what, um, uh, let's say, a hundred pennies were valued in copper and, uh, at the time, and then look at you know an ounce of silver, you had a fair relationship of value, actually. And the, the poor did business mostly in copper and small fractional silver. The middle class did business mostly in silver. And the wealthy did business in gold. If you, I mean, if you look at what an ounce of gold bought you know, today or in 1850, it was pretty uh, a significant amount of wealth to have in a single unit. And uh, today I think that's still the case because, gee, silver, gold, and any hard commodity tells the truth about the free market no matter how much we lie to ourselves about it with the Dow Jones. If you price the Dow in silver versus dollars, you see the truth. And so silver has this track record of being the currency that people like you and myself use throughout history. So I think it's a natural place for people to go back to. Yeah, so it's a, so that's the kind of thing or kind of mentality you're trying to get across in the movie, as well as just kind of a sense of what is right. Uh, you know, of people standing up for what is right and principles. You know, there's a bad. You know, the you know the protagonist of the movie Jay is like this investigator for the Federal Reserve and he's originally tasked with chasing down the rebels and soon after he you know he finds out he's working for the bad guys and you know things get complicated and romantic at that point but it's uh, you know we're trying to kind of my goal is to try to get the kind of values that you and I are talking about and I certainly hear you talking about a lot in terms of self-sufficiency out into the culture as opposed to um as opposed to the entitlement sort of mentality that we have, um, it's just um, kind of ridiculous. So I, I think that culture needs to change first before somebody's even ready. We're even ready for a leader like Ron Paul. You know, I think that 
and I think some people would say I'm overreaching, but I would say that there's a strong correlation between uh, a, a, a society that has lost real values, real morality, and has become an entitlement generation, and a currency that doesn't have real value and doesn't have real integrity. If you change the nature of a society's currency, it, it is only a matter of time until you change the nature of the society itself. Yeah, David Morgan, the uh, silver analyst, talks about that. I mean, really just about how um, he's more ele- he's more elegant than I am on it, but I, I, he really just talks about decline in principles of a money as well as the, of the of the society and you know and and um you know and i think going back to it I, eventually we'll have to go back to something I and mean, eventually there'll be um a monetary collapse uh there has to be and you know unless congress somehow gets in their hearts to change everything and you know, there'll be some chaos with different currencies running around and different models of things running around, and, you know, something will emerge, and hopefully it, it'll be, you know, um, something honest instead of, you know, the Fourth Reich. <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the, the beauty of silver to me, though, is that it is, and this is why I tell people don't put it in an IRA, it's, it's the most anonymous form of easily convertible and divisible currency that exists in society today. Meaning that if I am talking to somebody who has something of value they would like to sell, it is almost inevitable that they'll say yes to silver even today. Now, if they're in a cash flow-centric business where they have hard costs and they have to replace stock, they can only do so much of that. But I guarantee you, if your neighbor wants to sell you a tractor today, and you say, "Will you take silver?" He's probably going to say, "Uh huh," and and because of that fact, coupled with the anonymity, I think it, you're right when you say it's like it's the perfect guerrilla currency. Yeah, just you know, the worst thing, Fed's worst nightmare, right there. You know, so it, it's um, so yeah. So that's that's. Um, I mean, we'll see uh, as far as how. Federal Reserve reacts to the movie. Uh, you know, I, I know they're watching us, and we're thinking well, of inviting them to our DC screening. But uh. <laughs> I don't know if they'll come or not. Um, I'll tell you, there are people inside that organization that are privy to their own bullshit, and they're beginning to figure it out. Yeah. I had a guy after one episode of the show I did where we dug deep into what was going on with quantitative easing that works for the Dallas uh, branch of the Fed. Email me and say. Thanks to you, I just figured out what we were doing. So I don't know if that's good or bad that people that are inside the Fed listen to TSP, but uh, uh, we'll, we'll see about that in the future, too. Now, with screening, uh, what's your release schedule like? Can people see the movie yet? Yeah. I mean, we are, we've had a couple special screenings already. Um, you know, we, we showed it at, uh, we did a very early version of Portfest. We did it at Liberty Forum when uh, you were there. Uh, and we um, had our first real theater week in New York last week, and we're opening in two days in L.A. for a full week-long run. That will be at the Lemley NoHo, so the Los Angeles Hollywood crowd will uh, will get this. And um, you know, but again, the story is really you know it's a fun story, even if you have no idea about Federal Reserve. It's just fighting the man, 
You know, Can you talk a little bit about the storyline? I mean, I know that for the yeah. people, you don't want to go too much into a spoiler or anything, but just yeah. kind of the basic synopsis of the plot. Yeah, I mean, what we do, I mean, key to the Federal Reserve retaining its power is housing prices staying up. And because a lot of that's how most people measure their value, and that's um, if they go down, then all kinds of havoc happens in the mortgage markets and the ability for them to lend money. So uh, we actually created this thing called the Strategic Housing Reserve uh, to run by the Department of Housing Stability that basically forces people out of their houses either by making them sell their house or just eminent domain and pushing them out with guns and pushes them out of their house and keeps these empty neighborhoods of houses uh, so that people can, uh, so that the, the Federal Reserve can control housing prices region by region. It's like paying farmers to burn their crops to keep a crop price high, keep, you know, wheat and, and uh, bread prices high. So it makes perfect sense in terms of economic policy. Uh, it's a horrible personal policy and horrible political policy, but in terms of keeping housing prices high, it would totally work. And in fact, Last January, Ben Bernanke started writing about land banks, uh, uh, so they're getting ideas uh, from us already. Mm. Um, so, so basically, things center around that. There's the rebels don't like these um, the strategic housing reserve. They see it as a scam and ruining people's lives, pushing them out of their houses, and the rebels start uh, to draw attention to it. You know, they burn these empty houses and cause, you know, little news events with that kind of a thing. It is a movie, you know, so if you don't like something, you blow it up. And uh, so the, uh, um, and that starts to get attention and there's an investigator from the Federal Reserve, uh, Jay, our, you know, our, our handsome upright man, works for the Federal Reserve as an investigator, and he chases down these rebels, and pretty soon he gets tangled up with, uh, you know, Zoe, the beautiful rebel leader, and it starts getting complicated and intertwined. There's a lot of layers from there, but uh, it gets into the chairman of the Federal Reserve, who's, we call him Victor Brandt. We didn't want to deal with Bernanke or any current people, and uh, his henchmen, you know, I, I think one of the inaccuracies in that you find in a movie like this of many is you have to personalize the bad guys. So it has to be like one, you know, some murderous, um, horrible James Bond like bad guy when it's really more systemic in reality. Uh, but basically, a lot of the plot revolves around this sort of cat and mouse game between the Fed and the rebels. Uh, it's just a really fun story. But in the middle of it, you know, you, the whole silver operation of the rebels is revealed and. And you know, and you meet people that are transacting in silver, and you know, and whose lives are ruined by inflation and that kind of a thing. So, and you get to sort of see this kind of dirty, um, besmattered-looking world. You know, it looks like we went back to the '70s or something. Although, uh, nothing wrong with the '70s. I was, I was. Uh, I just, I know where you're. I know where you're. I was coming. a teenager then, so you know, but still. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of a throwback kind of world at that point. So, so that that's the kind of world. It's kind of a dystopian future, uh, and you know, set inside of this kind of interesting thing. So, the only people that really have money are the government, uh, government folks. 
Gee, the people that created Habit, what a surprise. <laughs> um, now, you've mentioned a couple places where this is going to be showing soon. Yep. What about people that say, I am nowhere near L.A. and I don't ever want to be near L.A.? Yeah, um, can they get a DVD of it? or? Yeah, I mean, all that's coming through. And so um, after L.A., um, here's another place a lot of you may not want to be anywhere near, but we'll be showing in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, you know, again, a big political crowd, a lot of Beltway libertarians there, and, uh, you know, still will be service to Ashleby in Arlington, Virginia. So it'll be um, showing there, and uh, we definitely need as many people to kind of come out to those and, and see those at the theaters as we can, because that's really where it gets its legs and it gets the media. And, uh, you know, and the more that it does there, then, you know, you get into the New York Times, you get into LA Times, and People start talking about all this kind of stuff, and what we're really trying to do is get that discussion going. Uh, so, um, so there's that, and then um, we'll have a lot of one-off showings all over the place. Uh, we'll be in, you know, Phoenix. We'll be in um, Austin, Texas. We'll be in. Uh, that was closer to you. Um, see, Round Rock, Texas, four eighteen. Maybe I can get down for that. We'll see. Yeah. So that's Austin. Uh, Flix Brew House. Uh, I think the the other one, the uh, uh, there's another brew house in town there that's uh, the, that's uh, too too liberal for us. Um, we're playing <laughs> at, <laughs> um, but we're playing at you know in Boston again. Uh, we sold out in Boston. A lot of these are selling out. We'll be in Seattle. We'll be in Spokane, Washington, which is silver territory. That's where a lot of it comes from, and. Uh, Colorado will be in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Uh, so um, a lot of different locations, and uh, we're encouraging people, you know, to talk to us and you know engage with us, and you know we'll book in all kinds of different one-off evenings to, for your community. Uh, a lot of times we can find a bullion dealer to, you know, to help support, and we'll cross promote for their bullion services. You know, if they'll help pay for the theater, and you know we'll bring, you know, a couple hundred silver-loving fans, you know, right by their table on the way in. So that's the kind of thing that we're doing is a lot of these things. Um, following that, um, starting in June, uh, we'll be starting to move into DVD, Blu-ray territory, and into the um, all of the different online venues like, uh, you know, like Hulu or Netflix or all of that. And, um, it starts showing up on all those. We already have that deal in place. And... Uh, you know, and I, um, my goal is actually to start selling DVDs and Blu-rays at Porkfest, uh, which is a porcupine festival. It's a big liberty-oriented festival up in New Hampshire. And uh, uh, Porkfest is interesting because there's it's, a lot of it is a silver-based economy. There's, you know, food vendors there. You can buy your you can buy an unlicensed meal from some from a vendor who. who uh, um, does not accept um, money in Federal Reserve notes. They only accept silver. So, uh, and that's about as uh, gray market as you can get up there. So, and then, uh, then I would qualify for my uh, for my Church of the Sword attendance because I've broken the law. There you go. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, you mentioned something there, and I understand why it's the case, but I also feel that it really shouldn't be about how, like, you know, some area might be uh, too liberal. Uh, for you. This issue 
should right. not be a conservative liberal issue, really. I do not understand that. I, yeah, it's bizarre. It's Other bizarre. than liberals trust the government more. I mean, that, that's and so you trust the government, but when you put your faith in U.S. currency, you're not even trusting the government. You're trusting the banks. Right. And, and they, liberals hey. should be more pissed about this than conservatives, honestly, right? Yeah, I mean, we have some traction with the Occupy people, um, but then mm-hmm. they, look, they, look, they go to Wikipedia and they look up, oh, Federal Reserve, people who don't like them are libertarians, which are to the right of Republicans or some crazy thought like that. It's also um, nonsense. It's no, like, of course not. And, and so, you know, there's this whole left-right continuum that they're trapped in. But it's completely bizarre. Uh, you know, it, it's on par with global warming, um, but, you know, more likely and more immediate. Uh, and more disastrous. So I don't know why they're not more concerned about that, except for that this money, either lack of education or that this money supports the programs that they like. And um, I, I can't, I mean, John Kennedy was one of the, you know, was the last person who tried to legalize the Federal Reserve. And he was assassinated a couple months after that. Uh, although, we're not sure there's a connection, but it, it's <laughs> one of those things where it kind of smells like a fish, and the yeah. outline left behind looks like a fish, and there's a couple bones laying around that look like fish bones, and it, it just doesn't smell right. It smells like rotten fish. I'm going to say as of a couple months. I, I really don't have the, the facts on that, but I, I do get – we attract every conspiracy theorist around, so I've heard <laughs> everything. Oh, I got gotcha. yeah, you. Know, I, mean, I, I have people come up to me at shows and tell me how – and this might be true, I don't know, but, you know, how the human race was genetically engineered to mine silver and gold for another race that they all bring back to their planet. And so, to, to <laughs> me, that kind of just, it's interesting, it kind of just talks about this hu- human ingrained affinity with the metals, too. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but... I consider all that stuff to be just modern mythology and fun sure. storytelling, so I wrap a lot of that into the movie. That's you'll find cool. you'll find chemtrails in the movie. You'll find all kinds of stuff. So very cool. So, like one of the things that's not conspiracy. This is an interesting thing. The next time you talk to a self-described liberal, I would ask them if they could give you the definition of archaic, and I think most people would say old, outdated, and that's great. And tell them if you look up liberal in a dictionary, you'll see a good dictionary, a, a deep head, not just a simple short version, but a real dictionary with all the root language in it, you'll see a definition of liberal that's now listed as archaic. And the original definition was of befitting of a man of free birth. So the concept of liberalism originally was that all men were created equal, that all men should be befitting of a man of free birth. And that concept was used by using the word liberal to sell it to people and where it was immediately co-opted, changed over into basically progressive socialism. So the root of the word doesn't even mean what the people that use it think it means. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where we've, you know, you mentioned education earlier. That's the problem. People don't even know the meaning of the words that they use anymore. Yeah, it's, I mean, we're here in Harvard Square in Cambridge, so we're here in the heart of the beast. Um, but it, that, to me, that's, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I find it more interesting to kind of do our work or do my work in the middle of this here than, you know, in the middle of Texas. But eventually it'll escape up to New Hampshire. 
<laughs> well, I think they want you out there. That, those those guys are uh, working pretty hard to get everybody they can to come in. I actually have a project now where I'm asking people to leave anywhere that sucks to go anywhere that's better called Walking to Freedom. And I, I hope it actually generates that a lot of people choosing New Hampshire as a home because I love what those guys are doing up there. Yeah, I, there, we have a, we, you know we have a skate patch up there, and you know that's that's where we go during the weekends, and you know, <laughs> but you know, I can shoot my gun in the backyard, and you know, no one calls the police. And <laughs> yeah, if they did, they'd come out and shoot with you. It's yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, that's it's totally fine, you know. So it, it's just a really different. It's not perfect, but it, it's it's definitely better, uh, and uh, you know, it's. Uh, Kind of ridiculous here. Although I, I have no troubles gun wise here in Massachusetts, I've uh, you know been fingerprinted and I'm all approved. But you know it's a whole other thing. Still can't carry though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I can carry anytime, anything I want. Oh, but, okay, cool. Uh, um, but uh, and the evil high capacity semi-automatic. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm I'm kind of with you. I mean I'm kind of with the. Um, I like your low-key approach, the most common uh, approach to survival work, where you, you look at what's most likely to happen. What's most likely to happen is that you're likely to, well, you're like likely to have a heart attack eventually and die. But you know, you're likely to starve and have trouble during an economic crisis, and that's what we try to document, as opposed to global warming flooding the streets in New York City and drowning in the middle of the road. Um, you know, stuff like that, um, or zombies or, you know, sure. um, you know, cannibals coming through the street because that you need to shoot with your shotgun. You know, it, it's, um, you know, I really like your approach, you know. Yeah, I mean, we start even more basic than, than an economic collapse. We say the most, the most likely economic collapse you're going to experience is your own. Uh, yeah. When you lose a job or your spouse loses a job or both, you know, I'm, I had people saying, I'm preparing for an economic collapse. This is back in 2009. I'm like, how you doing with the one we're having? Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we try to be real basic. One thing I wanted to ask you about as we wrap up here, though, um, generally speaking, when somebody makes a movie, somebody writes a book and somebody makes a movie. In this case, you guys made a movie and now you have a graphic novel based on the movie, kind of the other way around, Right. Right. It's um we kind of um did them in tandem. I mean, so we um we do a lot. It's an animated movie, so we do a lot in the comics and the animation world, and sell a lot into that world. And these guys all want to fight the bad guys, and it's actually a good audience for us. But we um basically took the script of the movie and gave it to our graphic artist, and she made this awesome comic book out of it. And you know, we bought a lot of time doing that too, making the movie. You know, we put up two pages a week of the comic book and you know that bought us a little over a year of production time for the movie so uh, patients to wait for it and they felt like something was happening at yeah but the book is really good for you know as a comic book uh, you know it's uh again all this is adult themes so when i say comic or animation it's you know it's more like um scanner darkly or waltz with bashir or persepolis or something like that it's not like disney or anything like that sure no, it's very well done. It re- it reminds you of very the the characters look like very well done. Uh, I guess you call them avatars. I'm not in that that world, so I don't know if that's correct. But it's very very well done. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, we were certainly worked hard on it, and you know it's uh, you know it, it's a um, the reason we did it that way too is just to create a little separation from reality. I mean, just because you know it's a you know it's a fictional story, and the rebels are uh, you know it's a kind of an extreme situation, but. Um, 
but also it lets us do things. You know, the Federal Reserve's not going to let us film in front of their building, and you know, and uh, you know, we have an exact 3D model of the Federal Reserve, including you know their security entrances and everything like that. So they are going to freak out when they see, you know. But yeah, they can't prevent you from drawing it. So no, that's... Well, it doesn't prevent us from going to Google Earth and you know looking at what it all looks like. So it's. Oh, well, you're doing what uh, the Bond producers did with the gold uh, Goldfinger, where they had to invent what they assumed that the inside of Fort Knox looked like, and everybody that watched it thought thought it was really Fort Knox. Yeah, so most people have really have seen of it. So, but yeah, so that's you know, but that's what we're doing. But we are really uh, encourage your folks to um, you know get out to the screenings and get out to uh you know to learn more about the movie and to follow us as we kind of get out into the into the online and DVD markets all that it, it's a entertaining story for somebody who follows this stuff but uh the other part of it is that it's really um a good entree for people that you want to talk about what a financial collapse would look like or talk about what things would be like or to experience what it would be like trying to you know if you're saving silver now what would be like trying to spend it? You know, silver's five hundred dollars an ounce in the movie, uh, and you know, which buys you dinner for one person. Sure. So you know, so that's you know our kind of scenario. But it, we start to think a lot about what happens in dire circumstances like that, and that's just coming from reading history and from looking at what other people have done. There's another thing that's brilliant, and I don't know if it was planned or by accident with the concept of doing it as an animated, well-produced film. I started digging into your website, and you guys are showing up at, like, Comic-Cons, which gives you an entryway into this youth, because most of the people that go to those are, like, 20-somethings that are right in the middle of the belly of the beast, as you put it. And but they they would be open to something like this where they probably wouldn't be open to a documentary chronicling the work of Ron Paul and the Finance Committee. No, uh, they're not going to read a book by Murray Rothbard or something. No, but yeah, I mean that's you know everybody at that age, including me. Well, I still you know want to fight the man, and so it, it's yeah these guys are really open and interested, and a lot of them are very aware. We get a lot of we see people wearing end the bed shirts at comic conventions that are not our and the Fed shirts. Now, That's they, cool. They brought their own. And you know, and we sell our and the Fed t-shirts uh, you know, to teenage... I mean, I sold a bunch of and the Fed shirts to a group of cheerleaders at a Comic-Con in New Orleans or some... No, Orlando. That's and awesome. They probably brought it home and horrified their parents, and it was, you know, it was great fun. But this is kind of where our ideas touch the culture and where... Um, you know, they learn about this stuff because preaching to the choir is fun, but not as productive. Absolutely. So if people want to find your screenings, check out your blog, see all these cool pictures, order a copy of the novel, get the DVD when it's available, uh, where do they go online to be able to get more information? Sure, that's all at uh, silvercirclemovie.com. So silvercirclemovie.com. And uh, there's a very active blog uh, at... Uh, silverunderground.com also so there's a lot going on there but there's a lot of Facebook groups now um, you know there's we have uh, a group for every city's screening going on uh, for each event uh, and then the Facebook group itself has uh, over 16,000 fans something like that at this point so there's a lot of people 
you know, there's not a lot of people that are sort of aggregating silver and liberty news and entertainment stuff and some conspiracy kind of stuff all inside of one wild package. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's what we do. Um, and, uh, and I challenge anybody to find any gun errors in the movie, by the way. I, um, okay. We um, worked very hard uh, to make sure that there are none. Uh, I found a couple places where the bad guys don't observe good gun safety, but other than that... Um, well, bad guys generally don't observe good gun safety. Yeah, that's my point. I mean, so, you know, <laughs> I'm less picky with them, but yeah. um, everything else, including the firearms themselves, are, um, are uh, accurate and good, I think. so. Excellent, excellent. So what I'll do, I'll make sure I put a link to the blog and the movie site in the show notes uh, so that people can easily get to them. Uh, if you just go to uh, survivalpodcast.com, this is episode 1104, uh, and you can uh, you can get links over there if you're driving in your car listening on your iPod or something and ha- don't don't have the ability to write them down. But again, it's silvercirclemovie.com and silverunderground.com where you can find out about all this stuff. I'm going to look into trying to get down to the brew pub with you guys on the 18th, whether or not I can make that happen. It's only about a three-hour drive for me, so maybe I can do that and help bring in some of the TSP audience for you to that screening. And I do appreciate you being with us here today, Pasha. Yeah, definitely. And if you're listening in the future to the podcast or watching the movie inside of some burned-out future, I guess we can say we told you so, or, <laughs> or let us know how it, how it looks, um, you know, compared to what you're seeing in the future. <laughs> All right. Awesome, awesome. Because, yes, that's one great thing about podcasting. I can be speaking to you from the past. <laughs> and uh, with 1,100 plus episodes, there's a lot of that going on. And one day, this will be the distant past. And unless they melt my server with some kind of death ray, it'll still be here. <laughs> with that, this has been Jack Spierko today, along with uh, Pasha Roberts, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget. Are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up there cares, they're living for